Have we made our north into south? Let's pop the top on this. Cue the music. There's a war going down. Put your shield and your armor on. There's a war going down. Put your shield and your armor on. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the only one. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the holy one. What's up, guys and gals? I'm Carl. And I'm Chris. And you're listening to another episode of that Philly Faith Podcast where we talk the walk. And walk it too. Just gonna awkwardly stare at you till you give us our joke. <laughs> to give us okay. Let's see. We ain't got any time to waste. <laughs> no time. That's totally not true. We have much more time to waste. Much today. more time, yeah. I was gonna say, where's my where's the coffee and donuts at, man? Yeah, I know. I didn't have time. You're killing me. To those of you listening, we normally record late evening. Well, not late evening, I guess. For me it's late evening. It's yeah. early afternoon. To me, it goes into the late evening because I record two podcasts. Right. But Chris decided to do it crack of dawn today. Crack of dawn. To me, it's crack of dawn. Right. It's eight thirty. I will say. Out of bed. I will say the sun. It's only been up like half an hour. Oh yeah. At, well, at it this kind of is. Time. Yeah, because Faith so. woke up with my littlest woke up with me, and she's like, I told her where I was going. She's like, "Where are you going? Got to go record." She's like, "It's still dark out." Right. <laughs> I know. Blame Chris. <laughs> I'm gonna be all groggy. He better be energetic. Yeah. Oh, I am. I'm got my uh my my energy drink of choice. Oh, that's good. Which I've been trying to get away from them, but today I was like, eh, I don't have time for coffee. So I got this. But it's funny because like per volume, coffee has more caffeine than this drink does. So, yeah. Anyways. So you you were at the gym this morning, yes. right? Working out. Yes. And now you're drinking a monster. Uh-huh. I really hope Mike Sancho is listening to this. He's a personal <laughs> trainer, and he's probably going to stroke out just listening to that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm sure he's not. He's not a fan of the probably not monsters. I doubt. No. Well, I he mean, drinks those nasty keto things. I tried I mean, one of those. And it I is. Had to it is the the zero zero sugar. Oh okay. Volume, the ones. Yeah, I I only drink the zero sugar ones. I'm glad you added that. Which I guess doesn't really help the fact it says zero sugar. It's zero real sugars. Yeah. There's plenty of fake sugar in it. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be inedible. Right? I'm sure there's other terrible things in there, too. Right. Oh, yeah. It's terrible. advertise it's that. Terrible for you. Yeah. Generally, I start with just black coffee or if it's on a weekend with a little bit of cream and sugar. If it's on the weekend, it's like a treat. You drink it black? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. During the week, I do. That's awful. Absolutely. I can't do it. <laughs> That's like a fast for me. Right. I'm trying to punish myself physically, then I'll drink it black. Right on. I, I like it. It's like, it's an acquired taste. Yeah. It's like, you know. I can do it. I just don't like it. Who doesn't like the taste of wet cigars? <laughs> I like chocolate milk. Hot chocolate, I mean. Well, I go. like hot chocolate that energizes me. That's right what on. I want my coffee to taste like. Right exactly on. like that. Right on. Yeah. So you just, yeah, you like. I'm a free fruit guy. Yeah, you, you like a little <laughs> bit of coffee with your chocolate yeah, milk. I'm soft. I was told I was soft and weak on Twitter, so I guess I'm just, I'm right. living it. Well, it's, it's, I mean, that's kind of the thing. There's a, a, a popular, and, and I know I'm stalling for my joke. It's no, coming. You're good. No, I'm giving you time. <laughs> right on. No, time there's, space. A, there's a, uh, a popular social media personnel that I think it's called doodad, uh, is the, is the name of the channel. 
but uh, it's witty. I like that. Yeah, they have a they have it's so it's it's a wife, it's a husband and wife, and they kind of like they, they do videos to make fun of each other. Mm-hmm. Like he dresses up as her and spot on, <laughs> and then she'll dress up as him again, spot on. They're they're really funny, and uh, so whenever he gets he started with a video of making fun of her, and it's like he's she's like oh, I love coffee. And so she, she like pours herself a cup of coffee with like two drops and then like gets out the creamer and it's like going, 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 going. She's like, mm, I love coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, then, so the video goes on through like her morning routine before she go heads out the door. And right before she heads out, he dressed as her heads out the door. She's, she's like, I forgot my coffee. And he turns around and I, I'm going back and forth with the pronouns, but. It's again, it's him dressed as her. Yeah. So he turns around and off the like off the 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 sofa table, he he's like, oh, I forgot my coffee. And then he just grabs the creamer bottle straight up and it's like takes it with him. <laughs> it's like Yeah. So on the weekends I'm more like that. Like I because I, 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 I tend to savor it a little bit more on the weekends. But then during the week I'm like straight black. Yeah. So Still disgusting. <laughs> Either way, yeah. <laughs> Just drink tea. Yeah, I do that too. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Lots of diuretics. Cold, yeah, cold tea. Cold. I'm all about dehydrating myself. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's fine. Sometimes in the summer, I'll switch to like just iced tea in the morning because mm-hmm. again, you know, per volume, it's got it. Dep- it kind of depends on how you brew it too. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's potentially it has just as much caffeine as coffee does. So. Yeah. Right on. So back to the joke. Yeah, still waiting. <laughs> what do you call an elephant that has nothing to say? I really want to get this. I want to ruin it so bad. I don't know. Any relevant? <laughs> I never would have got that. That's good. <laughs> I have one. Another one. I'm probably gonna save it because you'll probably will, will ruin that one. So if there's ever like last week where there's like a pause and you're like, here's with a dad joke, yeah. I'll give you that one. All right, right on. But anything to share this week? No, not a whole lot. Just kind of been doing my thing, I guess. Yeah. Working. Working. Doing regular person stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll dive right in. So this is uh kind of a continu well, not kinda of, it is a continuation of the discussion we started last week. Right what he was really laying on me when I took that trip to Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. Last week we talked a lot about the, you know, the storms coming. Right. I don't know exactly what that means, but I know that's what he told me. I'm just sharing what he's laid on me. We'll continue doing that. So last week was a lot about the what. Next week will be a discussion more about the what can we do about it. Mm-hmm. And this week I want to kind of focus on the why. Right. What he's laid on me on the why. Okay. And uh, the theme of our discussion today is going to be, and I know I don't do this often, but feels appropriate, is Isaiah chapter 5, starting in verse 18. And he says, Woe to those who drag iniquity with the cords of falsehood and sin as if with cart ropes, who say, Let him, as in Yahweh, make speed. Let him hasten his work that we may see it. And let the purpose of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come to pass that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good 
and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Stop there. What's he saying there? Especially that last part where he poetically talks about them replacing things. Darkness for light, sweet for bitter. What's he saying there? You know, I mean, it's basically he says, woe to those. It's like, well, you're fooling yourself. Mm-hmm. You do you do those things in, in, in your mind, you know, you're, you're substituting, but it's, it's folly, right? Right. You're just fooling yourself. I think he's describing a redefinition of sin. Like he's describing the practice of redefining how the most high would define things like righteousness, holiness, and sin. You say this thing, this evil thing, that's really good. Or this good thing, that's really evil. Right? Right. This bitter thing, that's actually sweet. You're just wrong. That sweet thing, that's actually bitter. We see what they're doing. They're, Mm -hmm. they're, they're creating this false dichotomy, this false righteousness. They're, they're, like I said in the intro, they're fooling themselves. Like I said in the right. introduction, they're 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 turning north for south, up for down. They're turning his word upside down in order to suit themselves in their own flesh. Right. Mm-hmm. I heard a uh, I heard a sermon from a really well known pastor the other day. And it was interesting because it was right after I'd read a devotion from him. And he came across with the same attitude in the devotion. Now, I didn't want to be exceptionally critical, but it wasn't, it wasn't a day later, and I heard him preaching, and it was the exact same thing. And, and I could hear the tone in his voice. And you get more from somebody's intent when you can hear him say something. Right. Right, as opposed to, to what they write. Yeah. Right? You, you tend to, your, your personal bias, you tend to apply tone to text that may not, may not have been intended right. by the writer. But when you hear the tone, you know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I won't hide it. It was David Jeremiah. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not disparaging him as a person, right? But what he's preaching on this isn't good. And in the sermon and in the devotion also, he was railing against what he called Judaizers. And in my experience, being somebody who takes the, the commandments of the Father more seriously than they tend to in mainstream Christianity— Whenever I hear a pastor say Judaizer, I recoil because I know how that's typically misused. Typically, that term is misused to slander and malign and discredit anyone who takes the commandment seriously that the church disregards. It's often how that term is used. Mm-hmm. How it is intended originally are, are those who were attempting to draw believers into, into the, the false gospel that they could earn their salvation through uh, ritual conversion to Orthodox Judaism. That's what a Judaizer actually is, okay. right? Those who are trying to, to draw those in the true faith away into the Orthodox Jewish religion. Right. And that's not just about the commandments, right, in the Bible or the law. There's a lot of added things. We're going to mm-hmm. see that in a second. So he's railing against that, and, and what he's specifically railing against are those who take two very s- specific sets of commandments seriously, and it's always the ones that they tend to harp on the most, and it's the Sabbath and the dietary restriction. 
Those mm-hmm. seem to be the two the two commandments that that mainstream pastors get the most irritable about. I've noticed, right? right? And it it wasn't so much the debate about whether or not those commands apply or how they apply, right? I believe we should take all of the words that the Father speaks seriously. Right. I've made that very clear on the podcast, and I've given reasons why, right, scripturally right. why, yeah. uh, especially in our Who's Mark series about this Sabbath in particular. That's that's the bigger one, given it's part of the Big Ten, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, and it goes all the way back to creation before there was a fall. Like Sabbath is not tethered to sin, right? Just as a side note, the Sabbath is a reminder of who your Creator is, that He's sovereign, mm-hmm. and that that goes back before there ever was sin. So you can't make the argument that the Sabbath is is only in place because we sinned and fell away. It's right. not. You can you can make that argument with the dietary restriction. I don't agree with the argument, but you can make that argument, and I'll I'll I, I will just respectfully disagree, and and will continue to be brethren, right? right? And I I will on the other issue as well. But you can't make that same argument with the Sabbath. Is what I'm trying to say, right? It's not tethered to sin or the fall or anything else. It's it's tethered to the creation week. Anyway, it wasn't so much the the arguments about the commandments, it was the tone behind it. Right. Like the 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 borderline disgust when he's describing his definition of a Judaizer, there was disgust in mm-hmm. the voice. And condescension. And it wasn't just me. Steph was listening to it too, and she heard the same thing. She was like, That's and she loved David Jeremiah, a lot of his stuff. She's like, I don't want to listen to anything he does anymore. It was right. that bad. It was that condescending. Right. Uh, and he even went so far as to state that in his view, a Judaizer's sin was they took the commandments. Now, remember, this is the context of the diet and the Sabbath. And he said that their sin was they took these commandments and elevated them to, to be more than just his words, mere suggestions. So what he's apply, implying there is that the commandments from the Father are just mere suggestions, his words. One, yeah, the tank, the big ten, yeah. especially, <clears throat> is just, uh, those are suggestions. Mm-hmm. I suggest you probably shouldn't murder anybody. <laughs> right. I suggest that you probably shouldn't commit adultery. When we kind of forget that, right? right. That the, the Sabbath is part of that set of commandments. We're very serious about, like, mm-hmm. the adultery stuff and the, the murder stuff, but... You know, the Sabbath is right in with that same set on the same set of tablets. Right. It's it's right there with them. But he says they're mere suggestions. And these yeah. are his words, not right. mine. I'm, I'm, just, this isn't slander. This is him saying that in his view, a Judaizer is someone who elevates those commands that he doesn't like as more than a mere suggestion, which implies that they are just mere suggestions. Right. Go ahead. I was going to say, it's just, it's the, it's not part of the low-hanging fruit right. of, of, the, of the Big Ten. It's exactly. easy. I mean, it's pretty cut and dry. Murders, pretty cut and dry. You know, creating idols before him, pretty cut and dry. Mm-hmm. Well, should be, but even that, should, we sort well, of adopt yeah. practices that he doesn't approve of. Right. So even that one's kind of put in a gray area. Right. Where we're going to interpret that however we choose in the moment. You know yeah. what I mean? Okay, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But no, you're right. But the Sabbath just gets tossed out altogether. Right. And Well, we keep a Sabbath. Right. It's not technically the correct one, but... We keep a Sabbath, so we're good. Yeah, exactly. Like they, I've actually Check. heard. It, yes, <laughs> I've actually heard it preached from. Pardon me, sorry. I actually heard it preached from a different pastor. I don't remember who that one was. Uh, that actually said that we were commanded to observe the Sabbath principle. He actually reworded the fourth commandment mm. to be not Sabbath day, but Sabbath principle. They yeah, keep the idea. The of idea the Sabbath. of the Sabbath. He said yeah. my Sabbath was on Friday. 
is what he said right. during a certain period because all so God can, wants is you to rest on a day. It doesn't matter what one, which is right. not, I mean, all respect to those listening. If you dis, if you disagree on, on the Sabbath, you know, work out, work out your own walk. But that's not what the Father says in the commandment. Nowhere will you find the phrase Sabbath principle in Scripture. Nowhere will you find, find the phrase a Sabbath day. It's always the Sabbath day. It always, in the Hebrew, it always very specifically specifies the, the yeah. which implies that it's a specific day on the week that he's established. It's very clear about that in the framing of the Hebrew language. When it talks about the Sabbath, it is the Sabbath. And you can research that. That's, that's, it's not misleading of the text. That's what he says, and I didn't right. write it. <laughs> right. you know, that's, that's what it says, and we can't rewrite things to suit us, right? Mm-hmm. But then he kind of went further, and like as he's going on, it, this was a pretty long, the whole sermon was built on this, right. just an attack on those who, who take those commands seriously. And it, it really felt like what could be taken away from the sermon was it's not just that the view is you don't have to take these commands seriously anymore. He, he so vilified what he called Judaizers to instill this fear of being thought of as a Judaizer because then you're not a true believer right? Mm-hmm. If you're a Judaizer, you're an enemy of the gospel and an enemy of the cross. You're not a true believer, which sets up this, this attitude where if Judaizers who take the commandments seriously are the enemy, and if just obeying the commandments makes you in danger of being a Judaizer, then to be a true believer, you not only have to treat the commandments like mere suggestions, but you have to actively disobey them. Right. That's that's how he he, and maybe he doesn't intentionally frame it this way, but in his, in his really negative attitude toward the commandments of the Father and what he calls Judaizers, that's the situation that he frames for his audience. That these people who take the commandments seriously are the enemy, so we have to disobey these commandments from the Father to prove that we're true believers. Mm. And what have you done? You've called good evil and evil good. Right? Right. You've 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 taken his definition of righteousness and called it unrighteous. Right. And taken his definition of unrighteousness and called that righteousness. Mm-hmm. You've done exactly what Isaiah said. You've flipped the word upside down and you've turned north into south. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right. And thus you've broken one of the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. You've taken his name in vain. You've preached a point that is in under his name but is actually in direct opposition to it. Yeah, it's misrepresentative, right? for sure. At the very least, it's misrepresentative. And it's concerning to me because this, it's, it's not fringe. It's, he, he was more honest in his attitude than a lot of pastors would be, but that's, that's a mainstream theology. That's a, main, that's a mainstream theological position. Right. That if you take these commandments seriously because we've classified them as Jewish, this, it's a Jewish commandment, the you know not murdering isn't Jewish. That's that's a Gentile too commandment, but as part of the same Ten Commandments, the Sabbath is Jewish. How can you make that argument? It, it doesn't make sense. All those commandments are all together. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? But when you when you take certain commandments that you don't approve of, classify them as Jewish, and then set them aside. See what I'm saying? You're mm-hmm. you're you're establishing the same principle. It's that's it's mainstream theology. That's 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 what's taught. Right. That's just just what's taught. I've I've you know I've heard it gone so far from a local local a local preacher that taking the Ten Commandments seriously is just a Jewish tradition. 
Well, that's sort of saying the same thing David Jeremiah said there, that they're really just suggestions. Right. It's not really a commandment. And if you take it too seriously and encourage others to take it seriously, then, well, you might be a Judaizer. It, it's very problematic. Right. Where I got the most frustrated, though, was when he, he spent most of his time in Paul. Right. Right. When Paul talks about don't let anybody judge you in relation to a Sabbath or yada, yada, mm-hmm. yada. Right. First off, there's a difference between being hateful and condemning of someone who's new to the faith and disregarding the commandment altogether. Right. Right. And we also don't know the situation in the context of what Paul's talking about there. B. Right. Mm-hmm. You could just as easily, and I've seen this done, and it's, it's still, it, it still can be true to the context depending upon your perspective and your view. I've seen it argued that what he's saying there is don't let somebody judge you for keeping the Sabbath. Don't let somebody judge you for respecting the dietary restriction. Right. You can take it the same way. Yeah. You know what I mean? But the ultimate point is Paul can't be how, Paul can't be his letters, which come later, Paul's commentating on the commandments and on faith in Yeshua, in Jesus. He can't be the foundation in how we understand the Father's words or the Son's words. The Father and the Son are the foundation, right? Right. And we need to understand Paul and the prophets and everybody else in relation to what that foundation tells us. And if anything we read from from the prophets or Paul or John or Peter or anybody else disagrees with the plain wording of the Father or the Son, we need to reevaluate our understanding of that person, of that human being, not our understanding of the plain wording of the Most High. Right. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The Most High's words are paramount. Right. They should be. The reason I set that up is because he turned to Matthew chapter 15. And it's where Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees about his disciples eating with unwashed hands. Right. And it's he only Man, cited we've we've gone over this passage we before. have and we're going to go over it again it's, it's again and again and again yeah it's matthew 15 and it's also recorded in mark 7 mark chapter 7 we're going to turn to mark 7 after we look at the matthew 15 account because there's something important in there also but he didn't he didn't cite the context of that encounter he didn't cite how yeshua responds to the pharisees and what he specifically rebukes in that encounter he only cites one line from the entire thing. He cited Matthew chapter 15, verse 17, where he says, Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? That's the only line he cited in the entire thing without establishing for his audience the context at all. Mm-hmm. Use that to justify his theology about disregarding the commandments related to diet and then scurried right back to Paul again and spent the entire rest of his sermon in Paul. One line from the Messiah ripped out of context and then back to Paul the entire time. And do do you see my, my problem here? We're supposed to be following Jesus, right? Yeshua is our Messiah. He's our example. He's our guide. He's our good shepherd. And we cite one line from him completely out of context and then spend a half hour in Paul. So who are you really following? 
You see what I'm saying? Right. I'm not yeah. saying Paul was false. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying that when we misuse the letters of Paul and spend all our time there and we barely even scratch the surface of what Jesus said, who are you really following? Who's your Messiah? Right. You? Is, is your Messiah your understanding of Paul or is your Messiah Jesus as he really is, as he clearly says he is? That's a problem. It's a very serious problem. We're turning the word upside down to justify our own opinions. Right. So I want to go back to Matthew 15 and actually read this context because it's important. Mm-hmm. Because it, it establishes something really critical, and it also, we'll get that when we read it. There's a problem here for, for David Jeremiah and those who agree with his position here right. about what a Judaizer is. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? That's important. Mm-hmm. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. So what are they eating? Unleavened bread. Bread. Well, it didn't necessarily say oh, unleavened, but oh, just bread. Bread. Yeah. Is bread unclean? No. No. Does, does, I just is, assumed it was unleavened No, you're bread. getting to <laughs> see what I did there. I yeah, assume. that was great. Is eating bread in violation of the dietary restriction in Leviticus? No. No. So this has nothing to do with the dietary restriction so far, right? They're right. just eating bread. What are the Pharisees' actual issue here? What are they complaining about? They didn't wash their hands. They didn't wash their hands in a very specific way. In a tradition of the elders, not a tradition. Not the law. Not a a specific command by law. Correct. But it was an addition to the law by the elders. Yes. For those of you listening to understand that this was, it's what's, often referred to as the oral law, they call it. It was later written down, and now it's called the Talmud or the Mishnah. Uh, it's, not, it's not what you have in your hand. If you're following along in your Bible, the tradition of the elder is not what you're holding. From Genesis to, to Malachi is what they would have had or in their order in Chronicles. It's not what they had. It's an addition to that. Right. The tradition of the elder is, is added commentary. Added commentary and added instruction. It is not the law or commandments as given by the Father. Their complaint here is that Jesus was disobeying an instruction given in an extra-biblical text, essentially. Right. It's essentially what they're complaining about, and the specific of what they're complaining about here is that they weren't engaging in ritual hand-washing. There was an actual ritual hand-washing procedure that the Pharisees mandated on the people that you had to do. This wasn't about cleanliness. Wasn't about germs. It had nothing to do with that. It was it was their idea of ritual purity. It was added to the law. Right. It was not given by the mouth of the Father. Uh, my understanding is they would like wash all the way up to the elbow. They would have special jars for this, with water in these jars, mm-hmm. just for this ritual hand hand washing. And right. according to the context here, Yeshua was not having his disciples do that because he was obeying the Father strictly, mm-hmm. without addition or subtraction. That's important. And Jesus answered and said to them, this is important, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So what's Jesus' issue with them? That they're breaking the command of God for their own tradition. Yes. They're putting their tradition, their theology, because that's another way to put this. The tradition of of the elders was Jewish theology. 
It was mainstream Jewish theology, and he's saying, why do you put your mainstream theology so far above the commandments as given by the Father that you're willing to break the commandments? What's that sound like? Right. Well, that's a problem. That's a problem. I can see why David Jeremiah didn't want to get into the context of what Jesus was actually saying here, right. because it destroys his entire sermon. His entire sermon is built upon upholding mainstream Christian theology, which tells us to disregard the commandments of the Father. And Jesus is telling the Pharisees here, why do you hold your theology so high that you're willing to disobey the commandments of the Father? This not only destroys his sermon, it destroys mainstream Christian theology on their handling of the commandment. This proves that Jesus was not breaking the commandment, nor was he teaching that you should. He strongly rebukes the Pharisees here for doing that. Why would he strongly rebuke the Pharisees for breaking the commandments of the Father in favor of their theology, knowing that in a couple years, he was going to encourage every Gentile on the planet to break the commandments of the Father in favor of, of an evolving theology. Right. A theology that's taken 2,000 years to evolve, and it changes every generation. Every generation of theology changes. Mm-hmm. Now they're, they're, you know, mainstream Christians are fighting against those who are trying to say homosexuality is okay now because they're evolving it further. And they don't like that, but they're just doing the same thing. They're taking the theology a little bit further. We can disregard the commandments of the Father. All we have to do is believe in Jesus, right? right? He got rid of these commandments. You know, I'm not hurting anybody. It's consensual. What difference does it make? Yeah. It changes with time. And Jesus rebuked it sharply. You could reread this to, to, to make it fit a modern context and say, why do, your, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your theology of the church fathers? Say the exact same thing. I think a lot of pastors, if they didn't know Jesus, if they didn't know him, let's, let's pretend for a moment that he did to them what he did to Mary and made himself look like a gardener. They didn't recognize him. Now, keep in mind, she walked with him. Right. So, and she couldn't recognize him. How would we? We've never seen him face to face. If he didn't want you to recognize him, you wouldn't, is what I'm trying to say. Right. If he walked in to most churches with these pastors, adhering to this, this teaching, they would call him a Judaizer and tell him to sit down and learn, learn from his superiors in the church and, and, and not let his voice be heard right. until he fell in line. They'd bully him as a Judaizer. Yep. That's scary. That's really scary that, that your theology would lead you to chastise Jesus himself if you didn't recognize him if you walked through the door. This which is, this which is I the, don't think a lot would. This is the danger when you don't just respect his words as they're plainly written. When you don't respect the foundation. This is the danger that you might not recognize him, not by his face and certainly not by his teaching, because you've vilified even his teaching. Right. Then he goes on to give an example of how they, they invalidate a commandment. This isn't the only way that they do this, but he gives a specific practical example of how they invalidate the commandment of honoring your father and mother, which is one of the big ten. Right? So. When he's elevating the commandments of the Father and telling them that you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't be invalidating these commandments at all in favor of your tradition or anything else, he uses one of the big Ten Commandments as an example, which includes the Sabbath. 
if he was going to come in and chastise us in our churches, I think his example would be about Sabbath. Right. And we'd call him a Judaizer for it. But he gives that practical example. I'll read it. And actually, it's starting in verse 4. He says, For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. That word invalidated is, is akaruho in Greek, and it means to make of no effect, annul, or cancel. So creating a theology that annuls or makes a commandment of no effect, which is exactly what we do. Right. Exactly what we do, and we do it in his name. Then he gets real harsh. Verse 7, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. That's Isaiah chapter 29, by the way. So he's saying they give him lip service. Mm-hmm. They, they believe in him. They believe he exists. They even believe they're serving him. But instead of just obeying his instruction, they create doctrines of men and elevate those doctrines over and above his law. And this was going on all the way back in Isaiah's day. He lived during the reign of King Hezekiah. Right. Even back then this was happening. Obviously, Isaiah was speaking of a future time too, but he was also speaking to the contemporary readers of his scroll. Right? Right. It's dual prophecy. It was relevant at the time, but it also had a future relevance parallel to it. Mm-hmm. So this was going on clear back then. This isn't new, right? Right, because I can only imagine it. It grew exponentially from the point where, from the point that he he actually prophesied about it. It didn't get better, right? right? It got worse. So and then so now we hear we're reading this when when Jesus is saying these words, it was it had got to this point. How much more worse is it today? Right. Because it hasn't gotten better. No. We're deluding ourselves if we think that we're immune to this. Right. And, you know, what's bothersome is we don't even really believe that we're immune to it. We just create theologies that make us feel like, well, I'm a Gentile, so I'm allowed to engage in this practice. Right. That's essentially what we teach in the churches, that, yeah, the Jews were bad because they didn't obey the commandments, and they really should. But I'm a Gentile believer. I'm a Christian. I don't have to. I can engage in what what Jesus sharply rebukes here is hypocrisy because I'm a Gentile. I'm allowed to be a hypocrite. Right. Mm, No, you're not. He's gracious and merciful when you repent. But there's a difference between succumbing to a weakness, acknowledging it, being grief-stricken, coming to him and repenting of it, and willfully rebelling. And we are dangerously close to willful rebellion territory with the way we handle his instructions. Dangerously close to that. Mm -hmm. And again, if Yeshua came into your church preaching what he clearly preached, he was clear. His words are plain. It's, it's really hard to, to, to misconstrue what he's saying here, right. which, is, which is likely why, again, the only thing that David Jeremiah quoted was, further down in 17, do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? That's when he's explaining to his disciples what he means by this. What he's saying is, you know, what's in your heart matters most. Right. 
And that's, of course, true. It was true of the Jews. It's, the, it's true of us now. We've talked about that on the podcast. It has to be an inside-out change, not an outside-in. Right? Right. But if it's true inside-out change and you're being led and moved by the Holy Spirit, where are you being led and moved to? Not rebellion. Mm-hmm. Not redefining sin as not sin. Calling north-south. It's, it's, it's to identify areas in your life that aren't in alignment with him and fixing that or allowing him to fix right. it with you, right? That's what he's saying here. The heart matters more. But again, this is all in the context of ritual hand-washing before eating food that was clean according to the commandments of the Father. This has nothing to do with the commandment. This has nothing to do with the dietary restriction and everything to do with the Pharisees elevating their tradition and their theology above the law as an excuse to disregard the law every time it didn't please them. See what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Which is what we're doing. We're doing the exact same thing. It doesn't please us. So we elevate our, our theology above it, push down the law of God, push down the commandments, and then anybody that disagrees, we say, you're a Judaizer. You're probably not even a real believer. What? <laughs> right. I live in the same Messiah that you do. Right. I came to salvation in the same way. I have the same hope. I'm redeemed in precisely the same fashion. I'm only justified because he died and shed his blood, but that should lead us somewhere. Right? Right. And these pastors would agree with that because they wouldn't preach that you're, you know, fully authorized to cheat on your spouse. So they obviously believe it should lead us somewhere too. Mm -hmm. But why do we pick and choose what parts of it we respect and what parts we throw away? I guess that's my question. Why do you, what do you think motivates that? Yeah, before I ask you that, let, let me finish this before, because right then we're going to go to Mark 7. But this was the other part that he didn't, he didn't read, and this is important. Again, he talks about the heart in verse 18. He said, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and these defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. So he reinforces that it's a heart issue, and the heart leads you to do incredibly evil things, much more evil than what you eat. I remember, like, I'm not harping on dietary restriction. What my concern is is the attitude toward the commandments of the Father, right? right? That's my issue. It's not so much the dietary restriction because I obviously agree with Yeshua here. I agree with Jesus here. The bigger issue is the heart condition that leads to incredible forms of evil, right? right? Like he listed out. That is first and foremost, but when you have such a negative attitude toward the commandments of the Father, how are you going to define these things properly, right? If you're not letting him lead you and move you, your heart's not going to be transformed. You see what I'm saying? Right. It's not really even about diet anymore. It's about the attitude toward his instruction. That's the issue. It's the attitude problem. Mm -hmm. And then he reinforces or, or clarifies again that this is about eating with unwashed hands. Nothing to do with diet. So you can't rip verse 17 out of context say this this defends my position that we can invalidate entire parts of the commandments of the Father and then apply that to a section of one of Paul's letters to give credence to your interpretation of that section of Paul's letter when you had to misrepresent Jesus to do that. And that's the greater sin here, I think, is misrepresenting Jesus because that has to be willful. It's not like we had to dig deep into the Greek to figure out what Jesus is saying here. It's very plainly clear. In every translation I've read it, it's plainly clear what he's saying. The Pharisees are criticizing him for disregarding their tradition 
he criticizes them back for disregarding the commandment in favor of their tradition. That's the context. Right. It is plainly obvious what the context is. So to take one line from Jesus here and, and twist it and turn his words upside down to justify your theology, that's a much greater sin than eating bacon. When you're willing to take the words of the Son of the Most High and twist them to justify your personal pet theology, that's a greater sin. Right. And that needs to be repented of, and that's what worries me, that that's become mainstream practice within the church. We'll take a couple lines from Jesus, twist it around, and then go back to Paul and use our twisted version of what Jesus said to justify our, interpre- our interpretation of what Paul said. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember what I asked you. I asked you something a couple seconds ago, more than a couple seconds, a couple minutes ago. I mean, either. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to run it back. Before we move on to discuss, I want to I want to look at something in Mark's version of that account. He informs us a little bit more. Remember this; these aren't contradictory accounts. It's different witnesses seeing the same encounter and remembering different details. They're not remembering details differently; they're remembering different details. Right. So putting these accounts together, we get like a, a broader view of certain things. But there's something that Mark remembered that Yeshua had said to the Pharisees that's kind of important and reinforces my point here. And then we're going to look at a, at a translation problem too. But he says... Where was this again? Sorry. It's Mark chapter 7. I'll wait for you to okay. get there. Sorry. No, you're good. Busy drinking my drink. <laughs> All right. Mark chapter 7. Now, he remembers him doing the same thing by quoting Isaiah and calling them hypocrites. Mm-hmm. But right after that, Mark remembered him saying that he tells them, neglecting the commandment of God, so the commandments of the Father, you hold to the tradition of men. So you're holding to the tradition instead of the commandments. Same thing Matthew remembered. Then he said, Jesus was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. And that's a very good translation of setting aside. That's at the teo there. And it, it means something very similar to akaruho. It can mean of make, make of no effect or ignore. But the best translation is probably set aside. They, they take a commandment that doesn't suit them at the time and physically set it aside so they can disregard it because it conflicts with their tradition. What does that sound like? It's exactly what we're doing today. Exactly. It's exactly what David Jeremiah advocated in that sermon. And take these commandments that we don't like, specifically the diet and Sabbath. We're going to set those aside because we don't like them because our theology disagrees with them. And, oh, by the way, I'm going to twist Jesus' words here and justify my position here, even though Jesus is actively rebuking what I'm doing. David Jeremiah is preaching in agreement with the Pharisees here, doing the exact same thing the Pharisees were doing and has the audacity to take one line from Jesus and use that line from Jesus while he's while Jesus is in the process of rebuking that behavior and uses that line to justify that behavior. It's that's I don't have words for that. Right. That's beyond dangerous. I just don't have words. It would be one thing if I thought he was ignorant of of what it says. I don't. I don't believe for one second he doesn't know what it says. There's a reason that he only pulled that one verse out and refused to, to look at any of the rest of it, then distracted his audience by going back to Paul, having to spend all their time there. Right. There's a reason he did that, because he knows what it says. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons I think, you know, 
study before, I don't know, before just reiterating what you heard somebody else say, you know, studying and, and again, questioning, mm-hmm. you hear something, you go, okay, well, I'm going to study that out a little bit. And if anybody would have studied the context of a cherry picked verse, they would have seen like, Hey, wait a minute. This isn't right. Like yeah. what he, what he used this verse for does not fit the context of the verse that it, of the, of the chapter that it's in. Right. Right. Like this isn't me bragging, but as soon as he used that verse, I don't even, I honestly don't even remember him citing where it came from. He just quoted it. I'm like, I know where that's at. Right. And that's out of context. He's misusing that. I knew right away because I'm familiar with this passage. Right. Cause we've gone Cause over I, it. Cause we've gone over, over it and, and we over. study. Right. Right. We, we dig into the words so that we know, you know what I mean? We, mm-hmm. we test things and we right. know if we're being led astray or like he says, he says uh, further in the account that they're blind guides that lead other blind people into a pit. Right. That's one of the, that's one of the things in that account that we didn't read. I think it's the Matthew version of it. Yeah, I'm glossing over it, but I think it's the Matthew version of that account where he goes so far to rebuke the Pharisees by saying these are, or he's rebuking the Pharisees, uh, their attitude to explain to his disciples, like they're blind guides. They are leading the blind. They're the blind leading the blind, right. and they're both going to fall into a pit. And that's, that's telling there. Yeshua is so serious about us taking the Father's commandment seriously that he says that if we engage in the practice of setting aside the Father's commandments in favor of our pet theology or pet tradition, he warns us that that can lead to us falling into a pit. Right. This is your Messiah talking, telling you, that if you set aside his father's commandments for any reason, you are in great danger of falling into a pit, just like the Pharisees were. Absolutely. We should probably take him seriously there, rather than just gloss over what he said mm-hmm. and and use his words or misuse his words and abuse his words into into defending that Pharisaic practice. Right. I, you know, and I think this happens a lot of times where you know somebody will just search keywords in the Bible until they come across a verse that loosely justifies the point they're trying to make and then uses that. But then, you know, there's people out there that would go back and read that verse and then read the context around and go, Hey, wait a minute. Yeah. While the verse fit in your sermon, the context of that verse doesn't fit in the sermon. Yeah. I actually heard that. I can't. I wish I could remember who said that, but they said that they they too often. There was another pastor, and they they were like, I too often see the practice of of other fellow pastors and preachers taking a cherry picked verse to to build a sermon. Not not even building the sermon around that verse, but taking a verse to justify the opinion they wanted to express in a sermon. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. So exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Instead of unpacking the word. They're just, this is what I think, and these are the cherry-picked verses that I'm going to use to justify what I think, Right. even if it's completely out of context. And I'm just going to hope that most of the people in the congregation are too ignorant to see through it. Right. That's Man, that's scary. I, I hope it's out of ignorance. But even if it is, Yeshua said, and I'm going to read this because it's, it's, it's Matthew chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. He said, but he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. That's scary. He's saying that in reference to what the Pharisees are doing here. Mm -hmm. And then he says, let them alone. 
or ignore them. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. That's, that doesn't sound like the words of a Messiah who's getting ready to, in a year or two, completely invalidate all of this and disregard the entire commandments, right. or the entire law of, of, of the Father, and, right. and invalidate the very commandments that, are, that are, are he, he's used or misused here and misrepresented to disparage. Right. It doesn't sound like yeah. that. It sounds like he's saying, take this stuff seriously. Yeah. I, like, eh, for a couple of years, it's really going to matter. So I'm preaching on that now, but after that, I'll be all right. Yeah. No big deal. See, that's what's kind of bizarre that's, about the position. If, if, if he was very near in proximity to just annulling all of it, to doing exactly what he's... He, remember this. Mainstream Christianity essentially preaches that in just a couple of years, after, after Yeshua sharply rebukes the Pharisees here for upholding their, their tradition in favor of the commandments, setting aside the Father's commandments after sharply rebuking them, calling them hypocrites, saying they were plants that were going to be uprooted, Going to be uprooted, that's future tense, and calling them blind, blind guides of the blind, just in a couple of years, he was going to do the exact same thing the Pharisees were doing here? Right. That makes no sense. It makes zero sense whatsoever to the context of what he's saying. Again, I have no words. Right. I was speechless at the time. I wanted to be wrong about what I was reading in the devotion. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I know I'm extra sensitive to the word Judaizer because I've, I've, that word's been used to really just destroy people that have my belief that we should take his commandments more seriously. Right. So I'm going to be like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I'm a little too sensitive to the word. And then I heard that sermon. And I heard him vilify him, vilify the people he, he, he classified as Judaizers out of his own mouth, implied that the commandments were just suggestions. You know, I take it seriously which is something I've heard local, a local pastor do. Just not use that same word, but the same context. Right. It's a Jewish tradition to take the Ten Commandments seriously. Dude, part of the Ten Commandments is not murdering. Do you realize what you're implying? You know what I'm saying? Right. To your audience, I get that you don't like the Sabbath part, but now you're going so far as to disregard all ten or imply that you really don't have to take all ten too seriously. Don't get too serious. Don't get religious about it or anything. Right. <laughs> the, the Israelites felt the same way you do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It didn't go too good for them. We're going to get into that on the bottom half of the episode a little bit, but I don't want to get ranty about it. We just have to be cautious in how we handle the text. And the reason I'm citing this, this isn't a, a bash on David Jeremiah or bash on all the, all, the, all the pastor session. This is my warning that was laid on me. Spirit laid this warning on me. Mm-hmm. We are taking his words and flipping them upside down. Right? Flipping them upside down. Before I get to, to the next part of the warning he laid on me here, let me show how this is even done in the translation. Okay, so this isn't, this isn't just a pastor interpretation problem. This is also an interpret, a translation problem, too, right. in a lot of your translations. Because I know what some listeners are going to say. They're going to be like, yeah, but what about Mark chapter 7, verse 19? Clearly says that you're wrong, and he's declaring all food clean and, and annulling the dietary restriction. So... First and foremost, that makes no sense to the context we just established. Jesus just made it clear that you are not to set aside the commandments of the Father in favor of tradition. Just made that clear. And went so f- he was so passionate about making that clear that he cited Isaiah, who said that it was just lip service, called him hypocrites, called him blind, blind guides, said they were going to fall into a pit. So to say that there's a verse right after this where he says, yeah, but they're kind of right. You can get rid of it. 
the the dietary like the commands of the father don't matter. Right. Just get rid of that. Doesn't make sense first and foremost. But this is primarily a translation problem. So it comes in the context of of what we read about in Matthew of him talking about it's more of a heart issue, right? Which is true. But he's explaining this to the disciples. I'm actually going to start in verse 18 so it's not a broken sentence. And it says this, And Jesus said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, stomach and is eliminated? Now, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, and I'll let you read yours in a second, but the New American Standard does something very deceptive here. So he says that, and then in a parenthetical statement, they put this in parentheses, which, by the way, parentheses don't exist in the Greek. But in a parenthetical statement, the NASB says, thus he declared all foods clean. So the NASB has Yeshua completely contradicting himself. He just chastised the Pharisees harshly, harshly for setting aside the commandments. And this translation implies that just moments later, he told the disciples, you can set aside the commandments, not a big deal. That's what this translation implies. Which translation is yours and what does yours say in that verse? And then I'll explain I am how reading, this is deceptive. I am reading from the New International Version. I'm sure it's not much better then. No, it's not. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I don't want to chastise. I'm I was trying to see if it actually went into um if it actually went in because I think there's like different versions of the NIV, right? Am I right about that? I'm not sure. I know there is the NASB. There's a nineteen ninety five version and a revised version. Okay. I'd be honest, I don't remember which okay. one mine is. Well, I was gonna say this book my Bible's pretty old, so Mine's the NASB 1995 for anybody okay. that's listening, which is better. I think the revised version is worse. Right. I like the NASB. Don't get me wrong. That's why I said earlier that that translation of setting aside for atheteo, uh, very good translation. Right. So I'm not saying it's always wrong, but this right here, very deceptive. This right. is why you need to be careful with translations and cross, cross-reference and do study into the, into the language. Go ahead. Okay, so yeah, so starting from 18, uh, are you so dull, he asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. And in parentheses. Mm-hmm. So they make it a parenthetical statement too. Right. Yeah. So they, yeah. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Quote, unquote. Okay. Quotes around clean, parentheses around that whole thing. Yeah. Here's the two, there, there are three problems with this. First, well, first we already established that this, if, if, if this is taken as, see, most would cite this and say, see, he got rid of the dietary restriction. There's mm. nothing you can put on your plate that's unclean. Let Pork, me, cockroaches, whatever yeah. you want to eat, it's all clean. Let me, let me, let me start. Uh, th- this is, this is my opinion. Okay. Yeah, this. go ahead. You're good. Right. So I think what's being said here is it's not necessarily the food itself that makes you unclean it's the act of eating a food that he has declared unclean that makes you unclean see what i'm saying yeah i see what you're saying so if you willingly put pork into your body right Mm -hmm. and 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 as he has said that's an unclean food you are willingly breaking that commandment and thus that makes you unclean, not the food itself. 
Right. It's the, I mean, he could have been like, pickles are unclean. And yeah. you actually eating the pickle makes you unclean because you are willfully breaking that commandment. Correct. So it's right. not, it's not the, it's food, not, it's food not the self. food. It's not the, it's not the food that's going in or the, the stuff that's going into your mouth. It's your, your active choice to either obey or disobey. Right. Is that what you're saying? Right. So it's your yeah, conscious so, choice to do something. Yeah. So yeah, the, I'm going to say, I'm going to put this in a, in kind of a goofy term, mm-hmm. but it, it kind of sums up in my head. Like this is how my head thinks. It's you're not eating the act of eating the pork sandwich. Does it make you unclean? The fact of eating the sin sandwich <laughs> makes you makes your heart unclean. Right. That makes you unclean. Your willful rebellion. And that's right. that's why I highlighted it. My I issue. think it's the difference. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think it's I think it's the difference between the physical body clean and the spiritual body clean. Yes, I would right? agree. So I think I think we get too wrapped up in the actual pork or shellfish or whatever makes your physical body unclean versus the act of eating a food that he has said unclean makes your spiritual body unclean. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's why I highlight, I agree. And that's why I highlighted that my issue isn't necessarily the debate around the dietary instruction. That's not, you know, we've talked about that before. I've never harped on that on the podcast at all. You know what I mean? There are there are weightier matters. The weightier mm-hmm. matter is the it, the weightier matters of the Ten Commandments. I, I am serious about the Sabbath. There's a reason that that's part of the Ten Commandments. There's a reason it was listed forth, and there's a reason it's the only commandment that he specifically said remember, almost like he knew there was coming a time people would intentionally forget. And there's a reason of all the Ten Commandments is the most repeated in all of Scripture. Right. There's a reason for those things, and it's because he takes it seriously. You know, like we got into in our our Who's Mark right. discussions. He actually calls it a mark or a sign or a seal upon the believer. That's his words. He wrote it. I didn't. Be mad at him if you don't like it. He calls it a sign or a seal on those who take his covenant seriously. That's what he says. Mm-hmm. So m- my bigger issue would be the Sabbath. Point is, I'm, I'm not getting into the, the dietary restriction debate. My problem is how Jesus' words were misused and abused here to justify a theology that is set over and above the commandments of the Father. And that's right. sort of what you're expressing here, this heart condition that leads us to rebel, to create theologies that make us feel good about rebelling. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not really rebellion. It's, it's not really rebelling anymore, right? Like, just like Isaiah talked about, where he, right. he, he talked about their practice of redefining terms. We've redefined the term rebellion, or, or rebellion, and called it good doctrine. You know what I mean? Right. We, we call north-south good evil, evil good. We, we flip-flop things. And we call it good in deep theology when we do it. That's my problem here. All right. My issue with this translation, I just want to clarify this, is the context. So this is clearly framed in this translation. Thus he declared all foods clean, and I've seen this referenced. The way this is referenced is, see, he got rid of the dietary restriction. You can eat anything. All food is clean. There's a couple problems here. First and foremost is how does he define food? The diet, I would, I would argue that the dietary restriction defines what food is and what food is not. There's a reason we don't eat cockroaches, right? Right. Nobody considers that food. But according to this logic, that's food now. It's clean. You can eat it. It's not a big deal. Right? It, you know, mm-hmm. it's probably not going to send you to, to the pit, but you're really gross and probably wouldn't be very good for you. 
And that's right. really, I think, what the dietary restriction are primarily about is what's good for you, what he's what he created specifically for food to be used for that purpose and what he didn't. Right. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. he has my argument's always been he owns it. We don't. If he's the creator, he's got the copyright on it. <laughs> exactly. He owns it. Yeah. It's not ours. It's on loan to us. We're stewards of it. There's a reason that it, in scripture it uses that term. We are not owners of it. We are stewards of it, meaning that we are the ones that he has has given the role of caretaking his creation. So when he says, this is for food, this is what I allow you to violently kill, butcher, and eat, this over here I don't give to you to do that. He's the one that gets to make that determination, not us. Right. And if we respect him as the sovereign creator, we'll respect that request. Mm-hmm. That's my argument with this. Regardless of where you stand on how serious the dietary restrictions are, at the very least, I think we should be able to agree that he is sovereign, he is almighty, he created it, and he deserves our respect. And we shouldn't be going out of our way to bend over backwards to intentionally disobey him just to make some petty little theological point. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So if, if you which don't think it's bigger, serious, fine. Is, yeah. But don't create this dichotomy where you feel like you're more righteous than me because you intentionally disobey him and I'm a Judaizer because I take him seriously. You're deceiving right. yourself. You're a blind guy and you're about to fall into a pit. And I'm worried about you. This isn't about me feeling like I'm better than you. I'm worried that we're falling into the same trap the Pharisees were. Right. It's a snare. Sorry. No, you're fine. No, it's just, you know, that's what I was, I was going to say. The the twisting twist the, the words for the theology is a lot bigger, is a lot bigger issue than the actual commandment of, or the actual what you're eating yeah like putting that aside the fact that you're twisting it is is a bigger issue that's what worries me and that's what worries me about this translation we'll get into in a second the 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 second before we get to the actual translation problem here the secondary problem with automatically assuming he's annulling the dietary command when he just chastised annulling the father's commandments is that we have to understand uh religious debate context of the day. So we have, most people know when they read the gospel, they know because they see these terms. They're Pharisees, they're Sadducees, they're scribes, they're Torah lawyers. We see these terms in scripture, but I think we sort of gloss over them without really understanding what's what this is talking about. There were different sects and different uh, schools of thought. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And uh, like the Pharisees and Sadducees, they had leaders. They had their equivalent of church fathers, right? These, these high-ranking rabbis. And they had a lot of debates about uh, how to apply the law, how to live righteously, a lot of different things, just like we do in the church today. There were a lot of debates between these various leaders. And there was a concept of, of biblical cleanliness, biblically clean, biblical kosher, Kosher is the, the, the Hebrew word for clean, right? Mm-hmm. And rabbinical kosher. What the context here is dealing with, because they were eating bread, remember? Right. That's biblically kosher. The issue the Pharisees brought before Jesus was because they were eating the biblically kosher bread with unwashed hands, according to their tradition, it became rabbinically unkosher. So the issue was rabbinical kosher or rabbinical cleanliness, not biblical cleanliness. Right. And Yeshua outright rejected their definition of rabbinical cleanliness or rabbinical kosher because it wasn't part of the Father's commandments. 
He's saying that they're elevating their rabbinical opinions above the biblical text, and he rejected it outright. Right. So really what this parenthetical statement is, is, is declaring here is that he's rejecting their rabbinical definition of cleanliness. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's, that's true to the context of this encounter. Not that he's, he's taking an entire section of Scripture and telling you to rip the page out and just ignore it. That's not what he's saying, because that would disagree with what he just said moments earlier. Right. The big issue with the translation, though, is the thus he declared part. Okay? So the Greek here framed, if, if that phrase in Greek, thus he declared, was in front of that phrase, all foods clean, that would be an accurate way to translate that. The problem is, that Greek phrase in the earliest manuscripts either doesn't exist at all or it only exists in the margins as if it was added by a copyist. It doesn't weasel its way into the actual text until later manuscripts. Mm. Earlier manuscripts are always considered the, the, the most accurate to the original text. Always. Right. That's how translation works. For that reason, thus he declared, should have probably been rejected, leaving the all foods clean part. Now, that all foods clean part, when you don't have the thus he did, the declaration included in the Greek, is part of that sentence that came before where he says, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Now, when you put that within that sentence, this is one area where the King James Version actually gets it better. I'll look that up because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it direct. I think I remember what it says, but I want to make sure I get it right. And the King James renders that verse, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the drought, purging all meats. See the change there? Mm -hmm. There's nothing about a declaration here in the King James Version, because the King James translators understood that the declaration doesn't exist in the earliest manuscripts the manuscripts they were translating from. It's just the all foods clean part. Now that Greek phrase can be translated as purging all, f- all foods or eliminating all foods. Most of the earlier translated, like the King James, uh, there's a, a Jubilee Bible, I think. There's a couple different Bibles that properly render that purging all meats. It's these later translations, these modern translations, that include the declaration when they probably shouldn't, turn it into a parenthetical statement which separates it from the context of that sentence and then frame it in a way that implies that Yeshua, Jesus, is telling us to disregard the commandments, despite the fact that it disagrees with the context of this entire encounter. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I zoned out for a minute. I was... No, I was waiting because I didn't know if you were wanting to read something like you looked no. up something, but... No. This is an example of the translators taking his word and turning it upside down. Right. And what bothers me the most about the NASB here, just earlier in verse 16, verse 16 says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a fairly innocuous statement. Mm -hmm. This is in the same context. They give a footnote here that says, early manuscripts do not contain this verse. So when it comes to this very innocuous verse, they make sure to let you know Early manuscripts don't include this. But then when you come over to the part where they translate this as, thus he declared all foods clean, not a single footnote to be found. 
Not mm-hmm. one footnote letting you know, hey, by the way, that declaration part, a lot of the earlier manuscripts don't have that. We chose to include it, but we just want to let you know that this isn't really in a lot of the earlier manuscripts. They don't even let you know. Right. You have to do your own independent research to find that out. That's manipulative. Oh, yeah. That's an example of translators taking Yeshua's clear intent here and twisting it for a theological agenda. And that's a problem. Sorry. No, you're all right. Mine lists a scripture that's associated with it, and I want to see. Probably the reference from Paul, which we can dig into another time. We won't have time to dig into that now, but at the end of the day, we need to, again, we need to understand Paul based upon the foundation of the Father and the Son. And the Son here, Jesus, makes his foundation very clear. You would have to, and you probably agree, we've gone through both accounts, the Matthew account, the Mark account. You would have to be intentionally misrepresenting misrepresenting him to not get what he's saying here. He repeats it a couple different times. He repeats the context to make sure it's very clear. He harshly criticizes this, this practice. He clarifies what the practice is. There's no way to misconstrue what Jesus is really saying here unless you're doing it on purpose. That's what worries me, unless you're doing it on purpose because you have a more popular agenda to maintain Mm -hmm. or because you respect the opinions of church fathers more than you respect what Jesus said. That's not good. I respect a lot of church fathers, too. I'm not going to build my faith around what they say. If what they say is against what the Father or the Son says, done. It gets purged right out, just like meat in the latrine. (laughs) <laughs> right? right. That's how we need to treat the opinions of men when they disagree with the Father. Purge it out. I, a, I, I think it's poetic, too, that it's a lot easier to purge the stomach than it is the heart. You can repeatedly, yeah. you can repeatedly put unclean food into your body, and it's purged within 24 hours. Yeah. You repeatedly put unclean things into your heart, much more difficult process. Yeah, it takes years, mm-hmm. if not more, if not longer, yeah, to to get out. Unless he decides he's running out of time with you, and then he speeds up the process, and it's yeah miserable. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but um, I I'm worried. I'm worried. We're we're taking his word and we're turning it upside down, and we call it deep theology and good doctrine. And he's clear throughout his word. You you cannot independently study his word and come away thinking. It's okay to disobey him. He doesn't really mind that much. You, 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 you can't spend more than 20 minutes seriously digging into Scripture. You open your Bible randomly, randomly, and just start reading and tell me you come away feeling like he's like, I don't care if you obey me or not. Right. You can't do it. You cannot do it. He is serious about this. And we should be too if we really loved him. You know what I mean? If we really, truly, wholeheartedly loved him, we would respect what he had to say, and we wouldn't want to disappoint him, and we wouldn't want to rebel against him. That's that's where that heart issue comes from. Right. The heart leads you, right? And if if your heart is, if you're giving him lip service, but your heart is really far away from him, like that Isaiah 29 uh, passage that Jesus referenced there says, you know, you don't, you're, you don't really even consider yourself his son or daughter. Because you're not acting like it. Mm-mm. He doesn't have your heart. 
He's got to have your heart. And once he has your heart, you have to be willingly following him. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. I'm not saying it's not going to be a process. But I am saying that if you are engaging in the practice of taking his words and twisting them to to justify your pet sin, he doesn't have your whole heart. Right. He does not. I can say that 100% with certainty. He does not have your whole heart if you're engaging in that process. That's dangerous. That needs to be repented of, and I mean right now. Because what we talked about last week, a storm is coming. This is why. It starts with the body of believers. It always does. Whenever he brings judgment, it starts with those who claim to serve him. It always does. That is a principle he adheres to strictly. It always starts with those who claim to serve him. And if he's bringing a storm, it's because we are twisting his words and turning it upside down and making north into south. His judgments are often very poetic. What if he treated our world the same way we treat his word? Flip the whole thing upside down. What if north became south? Is that what it would take to get our attention? Like, that's what worries me. What would it honestly take to get our attention to start taking him seriously? That's where my fear is and not for myself. What's it going to take to get our attention to stop playing this dangerous game that he said would get us uprooted? If we let this set into our heart, willingly put the blindfolds on, and then complain to him that we can't see because we fall into the pit, what's it going to take to get us to take the blindfold off? We have the power to. We have the power. Our hands aren't tied. You know what I mean? Yeah. Reach up and take the blindfold off. It's all you got to do. What's it going to take? That's my fear. It all comes down to surrender. We use that word a lot, right? Right. I know this segment's running long. This is going to be a long episode probably. I can split it up. I might. I might not. I don't know. We'll see. Split it up to the week. But uh, we're all familiar with the Samson account, right? So it starts in Judges chapter 13, I think. Samson was the one, he was a Nazarite from birth, couldn't cut his hair. As long as he didn't cut his hair, then he had a supernatural strength, super strong. And most of us know what led to his downfall, right. right? You know, Delilah got it out of him that it was the hair and then cut his hair. What really caused Samson's downfall? If I asked you that question, what caused Samson's downfall? How would you answer that? Mm. I don't know. I think it would be letting Delilah get close to him. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, everything from that point subsequent to that that turning point. Yeah. Yeah, and that the, I think the key word there is him letting, or key phrase there, him letting him. I think too many answer that question and point to Delilah. Delilah was his downfall. It was all her fault, which, yeah, Delilah was evil. She was, she was a pagan. Uh, she obviously didn't have good intentions. Right. right. Delilah wasn't really his downfall, though. He was surrounded by evil women and evil people. Samson's downfall was his lust. That was his ultimate downfall. He right. let her get close to him because he let his flesh rule him. Right. He had access to the spirit in a way that none of us ever will. And he chose his flesh instead. Right. And when you read the account of when she cut the hair, we all look to the hair. 
The hair was just a representation of something else. Because when she cut his hair and he woke up the next day and he thought, you know, the Philistines came on him and he thought, well, I'll just do what I've always done and I'll, you know, beat them all half to death or maybe to death. You know what I mean? Right. And, you know, I'll, I'll tap into the strength, but it was gone. And it says, it doesn't say his hair was cut so he wasn't strong anymore. It says the Most High had departed from him. It wasn't the hair. Right. It was the presence. That's what made him strong. Like the, the hair almost became an idol. I, 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 I say that very loosely because it was a command. It was a Nazarite command. Right. But it wasn't the hair that made him strong. It was the presence of the Spirit of the Most High that made him strong. And when he chose the flesh over the Spirit, the Spirit left. Mm-hmm. Spirit set him out. You've made your choice. And then a horrible storm came upon, upon Samson. He was arrested by the Philistines. His eyes were gouged out. He was tortured and he was imprisoned, and he was put on display as a mockery. That was the storm for the consequence for choosing the flesh over the spirit. It was a very, very serious thing. Very serious. Now, Samson has a, a semi-happy ending. He was allowed rest, a, a restoration of sorts, mm-hmm. a reconciliation. All right. Samson will be in heaven. I have no doubt of that. But he's a cautionary tale for us. Like we, into that, we know that he prayed and Yahweh loved him and chose to hear his prayer, and he allowed Samson to, to have his strength back one last time to bring the temple of uh, Dagon, I believe. They had him in there mocking him, and all the leaders of the Philistines were there, and he, he, he got that strength back, and he took the support pillars down. The temple collapsed on all of them and killed them all. all right. So he was allowed to sacrifice himself to liberate his people. Right. Right. Again, wasn't, wasn't the hair, it was the presence. It was the presence. Him, that made him strong. Exactly. One last time. And it was because he cried out, right? He suffered the storm, and it caused him to look away from his flesh that it distracted him and look back to the Most High where he should have been looking all along, right. right? He should have been looking to the Most High all along. The Most High should have been his first, his foremost, his center of the circle, his whole circle. Should have been his everything. But his flesh became his master, and it led to his fall, okay? It's very important. It's the present. I debated on whether to share this. It was... It was Strange. It was it was how he brought me to this actually, but I had a I had a dream the other day. It's the only only the second time this has ever happened to me. And all it was was a voice giving me a biblical book and a verse to look up. It's only happened twice in my life. The last time it was Isaiah chapter fifty five. This time it was different and it kind of puzzled me at first because all the voice said was Zechariah verse fifty. Zechariah verse fifty. I woke up and I couldn't get that. It was almost like it, like the the. It was almost like there was nothing happening in the dream. It was just hearing that, right? Mm-hmm. And I woke up and I could not get that out of my head. Zechariah verse fifty. There is no Zechariah verse fifty. There's not a there's not a single chapter in Zechariah that has fifty verses, right? Something told me to just count them out. And it was almost his way of making sure that I didn't doubt. Because the last time it happened, I kind of doubted. I was like, you know, I'd forgotten what that said, but maybe, you know, at some point I had studied that, forgot about it. It was in that, you know, how your brain catalogs things that you don't even really consciously remember and it just came out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I have never marked verses by total, total verses disconnected from the chapters. Right. Never done that. So I counted them out and I came to... I came to Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. That's the 50th verse. 
of Zechariah. And it says, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Most High, of Yahweh, to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says Yahweh of hosts. I think what he's telling us there, don't depend on your strength. Don't depend on your power. Don't depend upon the might of your allies. Don't depend upon your intellect. Don't depend upon your qualifications and your abilities. Depend on me alone. If you just depend on me, you won't go wrong. That's what he's telling Zerubbabel and, and us here. Depend upon the Spirit. Samson didn't. Samson leaned on his flesh and it caused his fall. Right? If he had depended on the Spirit, that never would have happened. And, and the deliverance of the people would have been a much happier ending for Samson. But he had to fall first. Right. I think in furthering that, I think Samson put too much into his actual hair. I agree. That's that, why, yeah. Like, I can do whatever I want as long as I don't cut this hair. I still have the spirit. Yes. I think. That's why I hesitantly said it was bordering on being an idol. Right. So I, th- I think eventually, I think the hair cutting was just the catalyst. I think the way Samson's life was going, God would have, God would have left him. Yeah. It was just the symbolic cutting of the hair that was the severance. Yeah. Right. That was the catalyst. It's like the cherry on the top of his rebellion. Right. Because it was a heart rebellion. Him right. being with Delilah in general was an act of rebellion. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was, I mean, had that continued, he could have still had his hair and the spirit would have left him. Yeah. Yeah. The most I was being very patient with Samson. Right. Very patient. Delilah was not good. She was pagan. She was not an Israelite. She was a Philistine. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that his, his, his even being involved with her was sin just on its face. And it was just, it was, it was him going so far as even to despise the, the, the one gift that God had given him. It was like the last straw. Right. Because yeah. he depended on his flesh. Right. His own strength. And I can't help but wonder if he hadn't started to view the strength that he had as his own. Right. And not really a gift. Yeah. Not by your strength or hair, but by my spirit. But by my spirit. The reason I think I was given that, uh, I think that's what we do when we elevate our theology and we set aside, just like the Pharisees, the commandments. When you look at the commandments that mainstream Christianity consistently sets aside, do you know what they all have in common, or almost all of them have in common? Maybe all of them. All of the ones I can think of, they have one thing in common. There's one common thread that links them all. They all require us to sacrifice something. Every single one requires something of us and doesn't necessarily give us something in return. Everyone requires some sort of sacrifice or some sort of change or some sort of act that would set us apart from those around us that might make us a little uncomfortable. Everyone, from the Sabbath to the diet, just looking at the two that we talked about today, Mm -hmm. they require some sort of sacrifice. Even the one we talked about with the gray area, right. you know, of course we don't bow down to actual idols, but we can redeem pagan practices in Jesus' name, right? Uh, no. 
<laughs> I almost said right, yeah. but that's the 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 theory is we can, yeah, if we take it as our own. So they take the part that doesn't require sacrifice because we don't really have to battle against that form of idolatry in America, right. like actual like Baal worship, right. on the face Baal worship. We don't have to deal with that. So that's not a sacrifice. There's no sacrifice in that. But giving up some of these holidays might be a sacrifice. He didn't mean that. He didn't include that in that command. That right. where it starts to cause me to sacrifice, that's where it ceases to apply to me. That's what we do. All of the commandments, though, that we strictly adhere to, you get something from. We love preaching about marital fidelity because that keeps our spouse in line. Right. We love preaching about honor your father and mother because that keeps our kids in line. Right? Right. We love preaching about thou shalt not murder because that keeps the thugs in line. The, the commandments that we strictly adhere to keep people around us in line, and we benefit. As soon as we come to a commandment where we have no benefit and it's all sacrifice, nah, that's not a Christian thing anymore. We don't need to do that. The reason I link this to Samson is it feels too much like a flesh issue. Whenever it starts to sting our flesh, nah, that's not for me. Whenever it gratifies our flesh, yeah, that's for me. So are we, are we, are we really depending upon the Spirit, fully depending upon the Spirit, or are we letting our flesh dictate our theology and thereby elevating our theology over and above the commandments just like Jesus warned about with the Pharisees here and setting the commandments aside and becoming blind guides leading the blind, right. flipping his word upside down, turning north into south? That's, a, that's not a question I can answer for anyone listening. You have to work that out on your own. All I can do is point you to the word and tell you he makes his position abundantly clear. And if the plain wording of the text, of this holy text, disagrees with, you, with what you're being taught from a pulpit or a stage or from your favorite church father, throw that out. I'm not saying throw the person out. I'm not saying despise the person. Love them. Pray for them. Right. You know what I mean? doesn't mean they're wrong about everything, but I am saying you need to align yourself with the Father first. That needs to be our, our agenda, aligning right. ourselves with him and not making excuses for why disaligning from him is okay now because my flesh says so. I think that's all I have for the top half. Man, this was a long one. I don't know if we should keep going. I, I had something. A, I think that's a good place to, to, end this, to end this discussion. Yeah, I think so too. Because I'm sure we can find, or you can find a natural pause in the middle. Yeah. And then we can, like, we can, like, record. You can record in or, you know, yeah, kind of an intro and outro. Actually, I think what we'll do, I'll leave that in where we were discussing, yeah, discussing. how we were going to do yeah. editing for the, for the audience. That's fine. I think what we'll do is we'll have our song break. All right. We'll, we'll play our featured song for this week, and then we'll come back on the other side of the song for our final thoughts. Because there's something I want to share as a final thought, and then okay. the the rest of the discussion I had, we'll just we'll we'll fold into next week. Okay. So this week's featured song is it's from Exodus Road Band, and it's Hard Rain is the name of the song. I hope you enjoy and catch you on the other side.
Hard rain falls on those standing in the storm. You wonder why you're getting wet, but ignore that you were warned. Right under the shelter that your own hands have built, and leave outside the reason that reminds you of your guilt. How do you know? You who say you understand, while you tighten up the blindfold with your blood-stained hands. You keep walking the road with the holes for you to fall, and say that you're not guilty, 'cause you don't see at all. If I was an older man, you would think about my words. But you must say I'm far too young. You must say I'm unlearned. How is it I know enough to offer you advice? You ignore me every time I speak and tell me I'm not right. How do you know? You who say you understand, while you tighten up the blindfold. Blood-stained hands. You keep walking the road with the holes for you to fall, and say that you're not guilty, 'cause you don't see at all. Back again. That was "Hard Rain" by Exodus Road Band. Like we said, to close. Normally, we have an entire bottom half discussion. The time kind of got away from me on this episode. Right. But uh, so we're not going to do that. We'll have a couple minutes here to kind of share final thoughts, and I want to share a couple things. But I'll uh, give it over to you first if you have anything to to add or anything that you wanted to touch on. No, I mean, so it's kind of reiterating what you just got done talking about. Is you know reject the the theology and or reject the yeah reject the theology but don't reject the per, the person yeah which is essentially what you know 
I forgot the individual's name, but that's what he was doing to the to to a, a whole set of people, mm-hmm. and and I don't think that's ever right in that situation. I mean, and maybe he didn't mean it that way, and that's what I hope. Right, but it's what felt implied. But it's felt implied, and generally, I find you're not too far off on that kind of stuff. So, I I lean more towards that's probably what it was. Because the fact that within a two day span, I read a devotion from him that was saying the same thing, and just happened to sit down in the car when they were playing one of his sermons that was saying again the exact same thing, right. just kind of reinforced it for me that there's there might be a bit of a heart condition problem here. Mm-hmm. Right, I think that's what I think that's what is more one of the important takeaways is is you know you can disagree with somebody and still call them your brother. Yeah, even right. harshly. Right. Even harshly disagree with them. Right. That's, I mean, it's, I think in today's society, we have this disposable, I don't know, this disposable mentality towards everything. And I think that's starting to leak over into people Mm -hmm. that, no, you don't agree with me? Done. Yep. I'm going to group you into this people that I don't agree with. And you don't matter to me anymore. Yeah. When really, I think you should be, hey, that theology that you have is leading to trouble, and here's why. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this. I'm concerned about where you're going. Right. Take some of these other people. And Samson's a good a good a good example. If he had somebody to say, hey, I don't think this where this is going with Delilah is good for you. Right. Let's 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 stop this and and reevaluate, you know. Mm-hmm. Cuz you have something that you need to protect. Yeah. Right. Guard as your we, gates. As we all do. We all have that. Yeah. And it's our heart. It's like if he, if he had had somebody to say, "Hey, this isn't going the right way. I love you." But it, you're not doing the right thing here, and it's leading to trouble. Yeah. How different would his life trajectory have been? That's kind of that. I think that's the that's one of the important takeaways. If you know somebody that comes into your church that doesn't agree with your pastor isn't somebody that you grab by the scruff of their neck and throw them out. Right. You talk to them. Because I think, again, it's, and Micah has said this, and I, and I really like it. It's not, it's not the, the temptation isn't the sin. It's what we do with the temptation that is. Correct. It's not the feelings that we have. It's what we do with the feelings that are the sin. Mm-hmm. Right? So if somebody comes into your church and preaches a false doctrine, and you say, well, let's, test this out and you test it against his word the foundation of god and jesus their words and it tests false then there's no problem in saying okay we don't reject you we want you here but we reject your testimony yeah let's have a talk about what you're teaching here because it, it doesn't seem to add up it doesn't seem to align right and that's my bigger again 
this isn't about the dietary instruction. I have lots of friends that don't, don't agree with me on that. I'm right. still friends with them. I still consider them brothers and sisters. You right. know what I mean? Right. That's not the issue. The issue for me is, is misusing the words of the Messiah in a way that almost have to be intentional. Right. Because, you know, you can, you don't have to, like I said, you don't have to do a deep dive study into Mark 15 and Mark 7 to see what the context of that encounter is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's plainly written on the face of the encounter, what the underlying issue there is. Right. So to take a line from Jesus there and misapply it in a way that justifies your personal theology about something completely different that actually puts you more in line with the Pharisees, there's, there's a problem there. Right. That's, that goes beyond dietary instruction. Mm-hmm. Right, way beyond that, that and that's that's a that's that's a it's almost a, a more of a, a heart rebellion issue, right? And that's what worries me. And I, you know, I'm like I'm not making prophetic declarations here, you know, with with me sharing what he laid on my heart. You know what I mean? Right. I I fully believe that he laid this on me so that I would warn about this, just like what you talked about. If somebody had been standing next to Samson and said, "Hey, this direction isn't good." You know what I mean? Right. I think that's what I'm right now in this moment I'm called to do. This is a direction we're going in. It's a direction I've been in before. I'm not saying this from a, a, a throne of superiority. Right. These are things that I've been guilty of. I've been guilty of misusing his words. I've been guilty of turning his word upside down to justify my own pet doctrine or my own pet theology. I was on that road and it, it wasn't good. And right. it wasn't comfortable being pulled back. I was lost in the dark and I know the way out. Right. Follow him. Right, follow him. You, you, you can come back from from rebellion. King Manasseh proves that, right? But you have to acknowledge that what you're doing isn't good, and you have to take him at his word and take his word seriously. It's not just about belief. Belief matters. What you believe matters more. Right. What you believe matters so much more than just vaguely believing, and you need to believe that what he says about himself is true without twisting his words when you don't agree with him, mm-hmm. right? right? That's very important. Uh, before I get to my final thought, I just want to, uh, like I say, I was going to talk about something else on this bottom half, but we're going to push that to next week, but just as a little, uh, I guess, teaser for what we'll be talking about. Uh, we've talked about it before, but I think it was before we rebranded to that Philly Faith podcast. I think it was, we were still Restoration Roundtable. We talked about mm-hmm. the biblical month of Elul. Mm-hmm. It's the sixth month biblically right on the calendar the month right before the fall holy days like the feast of trumpets day of atonement and uh sukkot feast of tabernacles we're going to talk about that uh next week but i just want to share how he laid this on me and why we're talking about it why it came on my radar because i probably would have missed it otherwise so just giving a brief synopsis of 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 what i shared last week like i i went we went on vacation to yellowstone and he he had pressed me hard going there about all the idolatry I was seeing. He was, he was bringing that to my attention everywhere we stopped. Then he laid the word desolation on me. Mm-hmm. Still don't know what he meant by that. I hope maybe that was just me. Because <laughs> that word doesn't lead you to a good place when you do a word study on that biblically. Right. Then, when I was sitting in our cabin on Sunday, July 24th, it's the only time I felt only only one of two times I felt pressed that when he, he hit me with something to write the actual date down for some reason. I didn't know why I did it at the time. It was July 24th, and I'm watching this storm head form 
over a mountain range in view of the cabin real rapidly forming. And that's when he just hit me out of nowhere. A storm is coming. Whoa, that doesn't happen very, you know, something that emphatic doesn't happen very, I'm not saying that like I heard this audible voice. I'm not, you know, schizophrenic. <laughs> you know, he, he breathed into my spirit, a storm is coming. Right. Right. I shared last week that I prayed for confirmation. The next day we hit a storm and our car just like stopped dead in its tracks and went into idle mode on the, on the highway. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't even crawl above a mile, a mile per hour. And that's when he hit me with, with that lesson that the storm's purpose is if you're going in a wrong direction on a highway, that's not good. The purpose is to get you to stop and look to him. Cause as soon as we prayed, the car came back on. It was weird. I'm like, well, that's not good enough. God, give me another confirmation. I didn't actually say it's not good enough. Right. If I'm being honest with myself, that's my heart. Cause I doubt, <laughs> I, I doubt myself a lot, which isn't good. I'm not encouraging that. Maybe just take him at his word the first time. The next day, got a phone call from family about record-breaking storms and flooding back home in Missouri. So three days in a row, he hit me with this theme of a storm. Right. Right. That's just a brief synopsis of what I shared last week. Don't know what that means. Don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's individual. Maybe it's, just, maybe it's just a vague warning. You know, I, I don't take it or leave it. Take it for what it's worth. This is why we're having these discussions now because he laid this on me and he laid it on me hard. Okay. Right. During that same period, and we've talked about this before, the number 40, because that rolls in with a rule. Mm-hmm. We have talked about the rule of 40 on, yeah. on, on the podcast since we've rebranded. That's an episode. And we talked about how you see that principle repeated frequently, 40 days or 40 years, and it's most often in reference to a period of testing or trial. Mm-hmm. Most often. Mm-hmm. Not always, but most often. Number 40 was coming up everywhere, to the point where even Steph noticed, and she's like, what is he trying to say? It was It was... Too much to just be coincidence. Right. And we've talked about coincidence. If you're following him and seeking him and inquiring of him and, and wanting to, to, to be in communion with him, stop using the word coincidence because it's probably not one. <laughs> right. Right. So that number was coming up everywhere. I'm like, what, is that? what does that mean? Well, I know the biblical concept is either 40 days or 40, 40 years. I'm like, well, it's probably not 40 years, so maybe it has something to do with 40 days. I don't know. Look back, and I saw that July 24th was the day that, that he had hit me with that originally. Like, I wonder, I wonder if I add 40 days to that, where that brings me to. And I did, and it brings you to September 1st. September 1st, which is the fifth day. If, if the projection is accurate, that will be the fifth day of the month of Elul. And we'll talk about Elul next week, but it's tr- traditionally the period that the beginning of the month marks a 40-day period of repentance leading to the day of atonement. Mm-hmm. So, so my 40 day count led me to another 40 day count. Right. Right. And I'm like, that's probably just coincidence. I need a confirmation on that. The next day, the next day we're, we're traveling home and we're traveling with my parents and they decided they wanted to stop and eat. So they picked uh, Applebee's. I think is where we stopped. No Lone Star. No. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those two. Right. It was good. It's one of those two restaurants, but I look at the t-shirts when we come inside and it's their 40th anniversary. Okay. It's interesting. Maybe that's just a coincidence too. They had us wait and I don't even know why they had us wait because Steph noticed this later. She was like, that was bizarre. They had, it was completely empty. Every table almost in the entire restaurant was clear and clean, but they had us wait. Nobody was busy. Weird. Well, I'm waiting around and I'm looking around at their, the, you know, it's one of those restaurants that has all the paraphernalia on the walls. Yeah. 
So I'm kind of glancing around and my eye catches these three books. I'm a book guy. And I it, like my eye catches on these three books that they had on the bookshelf on display. And one of them was called The Order Number 11. And I don't know why that one jumped out at me. If it was the number 11 or what. I'm like, that's interesting. And I took a picture. I've never done this. Never done this. I, I barely even pay attention to paraphernalia on the walls of these places. And I've certainly never taken a picture of one. I felt like I need to remember that. I'll take a picture of it. So I did. And we ate. And I looked it up later to see what that book was. And it's, it's an actual book. Like I say, it's called The Order Number 11, A Tale of the Border. And we're from Missouri. Right. Okay. This is right after I prayed for a third car, second confirmation on the storm coming. And I got a call, phone call about the record-breaking flooding and storms we had in the state right. that day or the mm-hmm. night before. This is the first sentence of the description of that book. And remember, my account brought me to September 1st. Right. Excerpt from order number 11, A Tale of the Border. It was a September day. Very first thing. I mm-hmm. read that. I'm like, good grief. Seriously? It was, a, it was a September day on the western prairies of Missouri. The earth had risen from a fresh bath like a strong man rejoicing to run a race. Thanks. Yeah. First two sentences. September, Missouri, a bath like a flood. That was like two days later. Day after I asked for confirmation right. on the 40, what that meant. Right. I'm just sharing. I'm just sharing what he laid on me and how he answered prayers. I'm just being transparent with you. I'm not telling you what it means. I don't know. I don't know. I have my suspicions and I'm not ready to share those yet. But that's what led me to Alul. And specifically the fifth of Alul, which is what I'd planned on talking about on this half, but we're not going to have time, so we're going to shift that to the next half. Because I thought, why the right. fifth? September first, but the fifth of Alul. Is is there significance there? Or is that just is that just where it landed? And there is some chilling significance that I found. It brings me back to a certain prophet that he keeps bringing me to over and over and over and over again. We'll talk about that next week. But that's my primer for what we're going to discuss then. Uh, but I just wanted to get that out. So it was like a coiled spring and I had to share it. Yeah. So for my final thought, unless you have something else, no, you've good. been sitting there for a while, so maybe you have a second final thought by now. No, no okay. I'm good. My final thought in the context of what we've been talking about, it was really neat. We were in, toward the end of our trip, we were in Custer. State mm-hmm. Park in South Dakota, right? Uh, where I didn't buy any shirts because I refused to have his name on my chest. <laughs> I buy shirts everywhere I go. That was the only place I'm like, nope, I can't find a single one that doesn't have Custer on it. Yeah, and not I can, I can, I can attest to that. Yeah, not a fan. But uh, anyway, we, there's a there's a there's there's one lodge there or a visitor center, I guess, where they have a theater. And when we went in the the park ranger, I guess, is what they, the ones that, that manned the, the booth, the gate. Mm-hmm. It's probably a park ranger. Right. She was like, you know, you ought to check out, you know, the visitor center. We have this, this video about the park and it's narrated by Kevin Costner. I'm like, that's all you had to say. Dead. Sold. We'll hit that <laughs> as soon as we possibly can. I want to hear some Kevin Costner. So, and my stepdad, Kevin, he was the same way. We wanted to hit that, but it took us forever to find because they have these different visitor centers that aren't the main visitor center. So it's kind of confusing. Right. By the time we finally found this place, the the we'd already missed the last showing of that video, so I never got to see it. But we got there just in time to watch this presentation on a cave system 
underneath mm-hmm. the park. And we're like, well, we're here. We might as well watch this. It'd be kind of cool. I thought it was just going to be a video, but they had actual, uh, uh, one of their lead spelunkers. Right. They would actually give the presentation on okay. it. He's one of the ones that actually maps right. the caves out. Nice. Super cool. So it was a really cool, uh, it was a really cool presentation, but I, I got a cool connection, spiritual connection here. I think you'll see in a second. So he shared that, and I'll make this kind of brief because we are running long and I apologize, but he shared that originally it was a very small cave known. The, the, the known cave system was very small, mm-hmm. right? So you would enter the cave going east and then you could, you, you would come to a dead end and it would fork, It'd be a fork in the cave, a fork in the road, right? Mm-hmm. And he'd already, remember, he'd already pressed me on, on the significance of the oak tree and hanging between heaven and earth and the fork in the road. So like, as soon as like he says this, my, my ears perk up, I'm like, okay, you know, you talk to me in some weird ways, God, what you got for me? Right. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm listening. Lay it on me. You can go left going north, right? And mm-hmm. you come to a dead end they call the dungeon. And then you go back to that fork, and then you go south, and you come to a place called the Ascent of the Heavenlies. That's what they name these two chambers. Right. So the dungeon, you have a choice between going to the dungeon, which sounds kind of like the pit, right? Right. Or going to the Ascent of the Heavenlies. I'm like, that's, a, that's interesting. Yeah. Stairway <laughs> to heaven. Yeah. <clears throat> Choosing between heaven and, heaven and destruction, right? Right. Anyway. Originally, that was only like a couple miles worth of cave system. And he said uh, decades ago, because the way they were doing tours, they would go to that fork and they would go, they would go to, the, to the north part and they'd turn around to bring the tour all the way back down to the south part. Well, they wanted it to be a loop. So they commissioned these spelunkers to try to find a connection, like a connecting cavern. They knew there were other caverns that they hadn't mapped yet. And they wanted to find a connecting cavern between the dungeon and the ascent of the heavenlies. Right. So they could just do a, a tour that a was loop. a full loop. Yeah. yeah. That's what they wanted to do. Never found it. He said they, they continue spelunking and mapping this cave. It's the, I believe it's the third largest cave system in the world with, with known mapping now. Right. So it went from two miles worth of, of known cave to the third largest in the world. And he said they've done like uh, air study, like air volume studies on the cave. Mm-hmm. And they believe they've only mapped out something like, what did he say, like, one uh, percent of it. I was gonna say it's probably some ridiculously low. It was something insanely low that he right. said if they're accurate on the on the air volume studies, that it might be the largest cave in the world. They just haven't found all the caverns yet, which is which, to be fair, is true of most cave systems. So who knows which one's actually the biggest? Right. But just say it's called Jewel Cave. That cave under Custer State Park is massive. Mm-hmm. It's massive. And he was he was showing this diagram on the screen of of every every few years how much more cave system they found, and it starts out with this tiny little blurb in the top left corner, and it just starts like spiderweb, like like massive, massive cave system to the point where they had to end up like making like three or four different camps down there because you 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 wouldn't be able to go all the way through and then map new cave and then come all the way back. You'd have to sleep at some point. Right. That's how big it is, right? Here was the cool part, though. They've never, ever, ever, in all their in all their spelunking and all their mapping, ever found any cavern that connects to the dungeon. The dungeon to the north is a complete and total dead end. It leads nowhere but to the dungeon. All of the cave system that's, that that sprang out in their mapping came from the ascent of the heav- of the heavenlies, and they've never ever found a connection between the heavenlies and the dungeon. Mm. 
The only way to get to the rest of the cave if you go north to the dungeon is to turn around and go back the other way toward the ascent of the heavenlies. Mm. And when you go through the known cave system there, you come to another massive opening that they decided to name the land of milk and honey. No joke. (laughs) So if you find yourself going the wrong direction in a direction that isn't good because your theology told you to or the tradition of your elders told you to, you might find yourself in the dungeon. Blind leading the blind into a pit. And the only way out is to find a light source and to turn around to repent, to do that 180, and to walk the other way. Just awesome connection. Right. And you would think the right way would be north, but things got flipped upside down and the right way south. Maybe Mm. he's going to flip things upside down on us to get our attention. But if he does, we need to turn around. Instead of wandering around in the dark in a dead-end dungeon where there's no way out, just turn around. Just turn around and follow him. That's all you got to do. The land of milk and honey is on the other side of it. Might have to squeeze through some pretty narrow passages that are going to make you pretty uncomfortable because I got to tell you, some of those pictures they showed made me squeamish just sitting there in the theater. Mm -hmm. But there's incredible reward on the other side of the struggle if you're walking the right direction. I'll ask you a third time. You got anything else? Are you done? I'm good. Uh, We will continue this discussion. It'll be the third and final part. Next week, I'm excited for that one. We had a good discussion on on Elul. It's one of my favorite topics. King is in the field. We're going to go a little bit different direction with it than we did originally. All right. But I think that'll be a fun one. I hope. Hopefully, not too somber. Like this isn't this isn't bad news. You know, he brings storms because he loves us. All right. I want to make that clear before we close out here. You know, he brings storms because he loves us. He doesn't do it in vain. He does it because we're his kids. And we're, we're disobeying him and we're going in a way that's going to get us hurt. And he mm. doesn't want that for us. He just wants us to turn around, come back to him. That's all he wants. You know, he'll ask you nicely, repeatedly. And if that doesn't work, he will bring discipline. And that's what a storm essentially is. It's discipline. Just don't resent it. Right? Mm. Accept it follow him that's all he's asking thank you so much for listening and including us in your day before you go don't forget to follow our podcast leave a positive review and click the bell icon to be notified whenever we upload new episodes also feel free to join us on social media and share any feedback questions or discussion ideas you might have links are in the description additionally you can't get enough of my voice search for the broken record ministries podcast for more content for your ear holes And as always, we pray that what we're doing here is a blessing to you, as well as a light pointing only ever to Him. This has been that Philly Faith Podcast encouraging you to keep your feet steady upon the path, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and pursue that Philly Faith. Until next time, Shalom. God bless. Singing glory.